Welcome to Landwards, the podcast for the land-based engineering community, brought to you by the Institution of Agricultural Engineers. Welcome to the Landwards podcast. I'm your host, Andy Newbold, and today I am joined by Iron Green member, Harry Henderson, who is Knowledge Exchange Manager for the AHDB. Hello, Harry. Hello. Hi. How are you doing, Andy? I'm very well, thank you, Harry. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Tell us a little bit. Let's start from the start, shall we? Um, tell us a little bit about your background. Okay. Well, thanks for inviting me. Um, well, I was born in North Wales. Um, I grew up on a small beef farm just outside Rithin in the Vale of Clwyd. Um, I attended the local agricultural college, Fatty, that's still alive and well at the moment, uh, and, and worked on local dairy farms up until about the age of, of 20. Um, and then I took my first ever flight all the way to Perth in Western Australia um, to drive uh, broadacre machinery on a 19,000-acre um, sheep and cereal farm. The impetus for me to do that was, I don't know if, if you remember the Ford brochure of the FW60, and you had the, on the front cover of the brochure, you had the FW60 and a Ford 2600, which is the smallest tractor in their range at the time in the probably in the, in the early 80s. Uh, I thought that my destiny was driving that 2600 at 40-odd horsepower, um, but I wanted to drive an FW60. So I set my heart on, on going out to Australia, got a job in Lincolnshire, in Leadenham, um, for a season where I doubled the size of tractors I was uh, from 80 horsepower to about 160, 180 out there, and then uh, applied for a job through, uh, through the Farmers Weekly and, and got a job out in, in Western Australia, in Muck and Boudin. Uh, I then got the travelling bug. Uh, I met a fella from Zimbabwe, and he his family was farming out there, and I just mentioned that it seemed so interesting. And the next thing you know, he's, fa- he's found his father. His father says we could do with a workshop foreman, and so I was offered a job as workshop foreman in, uh, in Zimbabwe. Um, hugely interesting, hugely different uh, way of life and, and way of farming. Uh, 300 uh, uh, staff at the farm, all of them living on the farm um, and all of them buying um, their foodstuffs and, and, uh, and wares via the farm shop. Um, and, uh, and I looked after about six or seven mechanics. Uh, everything was repaired rather than replaced. Um, and it was a, it was a, a huge um, working experience for me really. I worked for a, a custom harvester uh, over in the States, went over to Western Kansas and picked up the, the, um, the job there um, and then went down to Texas, started cutting wheat uh, with four 30-foot cut combines at the time um, and headed north to North Dakota and we got there for about October into North Dakota and then straight back down to uh, Oklahoma, the Panhandle Oklahoma, started cutting maize, milo and beans, soybeans, and went and worked our way back to uh, Kansas. Um, upon returning to uh, the UK, I uh, needed a job quick and just opened the farmers weekly again, ran my finger down the, the classified ads for the jobs and come across John Manor's combine spares wanting a mechanic to dismantle combines uh, for, for parts. So did that for a little while as well, um, and then uh, took on a job at uh, W. Emmett's and at Byfleet, 
large scale veg veg grower. They also had a uh, the main depot was at, uh, at Windsor and they farmed throughout Berkshire, but they had a little uh, more specialist crop uh, enterprise under Packhouse within within Byfleet in Surrey, just inside the M25. Um, I must like the detail of things because from there I got more of a long-term job as a tractor driver and plot combine driver at uh, Rothamsted Research um, and spent seven years there. And I'm pleased to say I, I cut the 100, 150th uh, uh, wheat harvest at Broadborg, um, the, the world's oldest agricultural experiment, and I used the Deutz Far M660 eight-foot cut plot combine. Uh, after several years there, I took a job with PBI or um, Plant Breeding International at uh, Trumpington in Cambridge. And as I just started, Monsanto had come and bought the company from uh, Unilever. They were going to use uh, PBI's springboard into the uh, into launching um, genetically modified crops into into Europe. Um, that didn't happen, as we all know. There was in the this was in the very late 90s and early 2000s, and there was lots of, uh, lots of, lots of discussion around whether this should happen, and, and it ultimately it didn't. Um, and when uh, Monsanto sold the business, I became farm manager in, in, in time. Um, but when they sold the business in 2005 and moved to, uh, to Ickleton, and, it, and then became RAGT, uh, I applied for a job with John Deere UK Limited at Langer. Um, and the role really, they weren't looking for an engineer, they were looking for more of a, a, a farm technologist, I suppose. Um, they wanted help in uh, establishing their GPS technology, a relatively new uh, crop spray range, um, and to support combine harvester sales in the UK. The role involved dealer training, dealer support, demonstrations, um, problem resolution, contact with the factories in Holland and Germany and in Moline. Um, and uh, it was really a great job. There was four of us taking on. We were crop system specialists. Um, and I took on the area um, in Lincolnshire, uh, which was uh, Lincolnshire and probably most of Yorkshire, I remember. And as a quieter area, I took on uh, uh, Wales and the West Midlands as well. Um, really great job. Travelled the country, travelled Europe, um, frequently in, into Germany, frequently into Holland, and then in, in uh, uh, dealer training uh, events further afield as well. Um, as good as the job was, I missed the farming and agronomy side of things, and, and knew with with any larger manufacturer that was. You, the further you progress in that. lost you, Harry. Have you? Have lost you. Have you lost me? Gone. You? You're back. Um, you're back. Uh, you're back. I'm back. Oh, yeah, good. we got we got as far as as good as the job was. Okay. Yeah. Try okay. that. Try try starting from as good as the job was and then move on from there. As good as the job was, and as good as the employer was, I missed farming and the agronomy side of things. I knew any large manufacturers progression within the business would mean a, more of a, a desk-bound role. So in 2013, I took a position with the HGCA as regional manager. And this again was a new role, really, to, to reach out and promote agricultural research 
to the leisure payer and to the agricultural industry in general. We really didn't mind if it went direct to the leisure payer or it went via a third party such as an agronomy company as well. Um, the HGCA became part of the Agricultural and Horticultural Development Board and it's uh, worked with cereals and potatoes, beef and lamb, pork, dairy and horticulture. So, so that's brought us uh, very rapidly in a few minutes over several decades, shall we say, Harry. Um, yeah. Let, just thinking about back to inspiration, why did you decide to become an agricultural engineer? I don't know that I was ever an engineer, um, but I would consider myself the link between practical farming, agronomy, soil management, and the engineers that would would turn up with the with the equipment that, um, and designed and tested and, and supported the, the equipment. Um, it's it's. It's interesting that I can remember lying underneath a test combine in Serbia um, for some early European harvesting and reading off the different crops to uh, test combine seed tightness and uh, moisture content that uh, a farmer might see, uh, see fit to tackle. And the combine engineer, the German combine engineer, couldn't believe that, that our Scottish counterparts would, would see wheat at 24% moisture and just go for it. Especially if the if the weather was a little bit catchy, it yeah. would be a no-brainer. They just do it. So next thing you know, the the German uh, combine engineers saying we've got to go to uh, Scotland. We, that's got to be a, a good place to test combines. And next few months, test combine turns up when we go testing combines in Aberdeenshire. Which, by the sound of things, was a slightly more challenging um, environment than than the, the sort of continental climate of relatively stable and low moisture content. Yeah, yeah. I was in southern Spain, um, not far from Gibraltar. The farmer out there was reluctant to harvest his wheat at 10% moisture. He said, if it gets to nine, we'll go. And I had a, a couple of red-haired, rosy-faced Scots uh, dealer uh, personnel with me, and they just erupted. They said, what? How can this be possible? How have you get anything done? Uh, but yeah, different uh, Different context is everything. Context yeah. is everything. I think. I think if uh, if we waited for the wheat to get to nine percent in this valley, in fact, there isn't any wheat grown, so that's a hypothetical conversation. Um, what What did you study, Harry? Um, agricultural management with mechanisation, specifically in in North Wales, and then I returned back to college here at Oaklands College in St Albans in Hertfordshire, and popped up with a HND there. Uh, and again, that was that was agricultural management. Um, so, what about what about your route into the industry then? Um, I guess well, I'm a, a farmer's son, and my father was by trade uh, a, a beef farmer, um, but he was also interested in all things mechanical. And so, I suppose I developed uh, interest along the same line. And my father went out and bought the 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 uh, the D stationary engine and said, there you go, boy, have a go at that. And I uh, got it going, slid the head off and, and you peer inside and you look at the all the goings on inside and, and you polish the, uh, the brass head gasket, stick it back on and, and get it going. Stick the magneto on a, on a drill to put some life into it, put it all back on and sign it up and, and start it. So that's what got me going. And I fancy something that, that would run uh, or I could drive rather than just watch but go putt putt. So 
I ended up buying a Fulton Standard when I was probably 12 and trading that in and had a various amount of tractors um, uh, to, to play with, really. Um, but I was out and out farming until I joined John Deere. Um, and that was a complete culture change for me. So uh, it was very much more formal, very much more structured, very much more managed. Wearing a tie to meetings was a bit of a shock. Um, but meeting the people and the organization behind these machines that we take for granted, um, right stemming, stemming from a, a casual conversation over a beer, um, right through to a product launch, the sales, the support, its, its replacement. It's quite something to experience, it really is. I remember that uh, many of our, our listeners will know that John Deere have launched a, a twin rotor combine. I was sit, sat in a pub in Lincolnshire and with a with a combine engineer, and you get a bit more beer down her neck and say, well, what's, what's around the corner then? What's coming up? And they said, well, I'm really looking at twin rotor combines. And you go, oh, right, right, right. Do you want another pint? So it's it's absolutely fascinating the 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 level of work and it, it in it doesn't matter what a brand of machine or manufacturer it is the the effort and the the um, work and structure that goes into bringing a machine to uh, to the market is is really quite yeah. Um. Do you, want, do you want to tell us tell us some more about your journey following qualifications? Well, tractor driving I love. Um, it's great. But you and many people will, will sit and agree with me here that when you're sitting going up and down a field, you tend to sit there and think about how things can be done better. And if you're a little honest with yourself, you'd probably get frustrated um, that your person you're working for is slow to improve. And early on in your career, you probably think that your boss isn't quite the best boss that should it could be, but you haven't got an idea of what the boss is having to deal with when he's not dealing with you, he or she. So um, I think that's an important thing. So you, you, you give up the tractor driving. Um, you, uh, it is a valuable background to, to problem solving and understanding issues. But um, if I could. Uh, recommend one thing it would be to travel and you go and stand in a field in Australia and talk to the farmer there about moisture retention um, something unheard of in North Wales and you you go to a farm in New Zealand and hear about the lack of government support and you stand in a field in North Dakota and your boss tells you you better grease the combine tonight while the combine warm because in the morning it'll be so cold the grease won't won't flow through your grease gun or the or the or the grease nipple and so you have a, a um a huge you gain a huge background in different aspects of wool farming sometimes these machines are to be found in scotland in spain in australia and in america uh with little or no uh, adjustment you know these machines are so good say that you, you really don't need a, a climatized uh, type of machine to to use so it's it's a very uh, it i suppose it was the it's the, the the journey for me was was travel 
Um, and I've been to most British counties, uh, from Kent to Caithness, as I sometimes say. I've been across Europe, um, and I've stood in uh, many, many fields working with many, many machines, um, with end users, with um, test machines, with factory staff, sales staff, and you tend to be the glue, you tend to be the, the, the person that keeps all of these guys together and bring in a, a, a farmer who may be able to help us with, with some testing. And, you know, farmers are very interested, they're, they're fascinated if you can get a test combine on their um, farm, even if they're sworn to secrecy about its internal, then, then you know, it's, um, it's a very interesting thing to get into. So, so fast forwarding, talk us through or tell us a little bit about your day job now. So I work for the AHDB, um, it's the Agricultural and Horticultural Development. It's a levy funded uh, or farmer funded um, organisation um, and the farmer uh, pays a levy and for cereal growers it's about 46 pence a ton of wheat sold in the UK comes to us and then in turn we reinvest that uh, that money that goes into the recommended list for your cereals and all seeds variety choices it goes into a document called the RB209 which gives uh, anyone who's interested really the the um, recommendations for fertilizer new, uh, for, um, for different crops, different rainfall types and soil types. Um, we, as part of the role the site took on, we promoted the benchmarking program called Farm Bench, and farmers are able to uh, sit down, get in front of their laptop with a cup of coffee, type in all of their costs. So their fungicide costs, seed costs, uh, fuel costs, uh, machinery costs, and so on, and calculate it all out and produce a cost of production per hectare or per ton grown. And it's staggering the the range of costs that you see coming in. So a, um, and a cost of production for a ton of winter wheat, uh, milling wheat, let's say, would be between. Hundred pounds a ton, right up to two hundred thirty pounds a ton. And I, I, I haven't checked just lately, but a ton of wheat is putting us about one hundred eighty-five pounds a ton at the moment. So you can see that it's fairly critical. If you can, you can get your cost of production sustainably low, um, and that's sustainably. I mean, year in year out, it's not much cop. If you've got one year low year of costs, you've got to have a sustainable uh, run of, of lower costs. And you can encourage farmers to be more sustainable um, and and stay in business for longer. As, and this is especially important now, where the, uh, the the payment system is changing. So your basic payment scheme for farmers is going by about 2026-2027. It'll have gone, and it'll be replaced by the environmental land management scheme, which will pay farmers for doing something on their farm. And the, that's the critical change really is that uh, farmers have received a basic payment scheme to support them in their endeavors to produce food. I think in the future, it will be, um, they will be paid only for doing something, which is a, a bit of a, a, a change. I think that we've worked out that the farm incomes from uh, government payments will drop by 50%. So, 
we're at the moment trying to get farmers to realize this to get them to plan ahead um and part of my role really is to help farmers understand their cost of their machinery and we i can often be either heard on a podcast or on a webinar or when we're allowed to face to face and trying to get farmers to understand that the return on their investment for their machinery and of course farmers think that well what you're trying to do is get me to sell my plush tractor and, and get a, a, a cheap um low spec machine to do the same job that's not the case at all it, it, you can have the, the tractor that your heart desire as long as you can make money from it and we have all sorts of farmers that um have 10 of the tractors that works for them um, and we have guys with one really nice tractor and that also works for them. So there's no hard and fast rules. You can't really say that you need to put 700 hours a year on it and it, and it needs to be one horsepower per hectare and so forth. It just doesn't work like that. It's, it, the human element comes into it and um, you, have to, you have to abide by that really. But it's just as long as the, the farmer is, is making money from his endeavours. And you should see the equipment that he buys, um, yes, as an investment, but something that has to earn its keep. Um, and so it's, it's, it's very interesting. That I don't think there's a brand um, issue, but there is a size issue with, with, with tractors. And, you know, you can buy what a tractor, 650, 680 horsepower now if it's, if it's, um, if it's fully in full flight. Um, I defy any UK farmer to earn money from a tractor of that size. Uh, when you see the similar sort of tractor in Australia, um, South America, or Canada, um, pulling 14, 15, 18 meter drills, we're pulling an eight meter drill with it. So I can see that things are going to change. Um, there's also the the uh, trend, I suppose I'll call it, to do less to the soil. Um, is it no-till? Is it cover crops? Is it living mulch? Um, less pesticides, more nutrient cycling. So there's more of a holistic farming um, uh, trend coming in to Vogue at the moment. Whether it stays will be very interesting to see. I think the, the government are keen to support that trend. Um, they, uh, they will keen to support the elements, the reduced cultivation, the less uh, cropping on steep hillsides to re reduce runoff. Um, they are interested in carbon capture. Um, that might be handled by, what are they looking at? 30,000 hectares of trees to be planted every year in the next five years. Um, so that's going to be a, a big change to things as well. Um, so, that's a long-winded way of, of explaining that I'm, I, I talk to a lot of farmers about their um, machinery and, and an ind independent uh, voice, I guess, to how a farmer is going to remain independent or financially viable in the next 10 years. Um, is there technology out there that can help the farmer? Um, things like autosteer certainly have. You you have seen a huge reduction in fatigue in, in, in drivers uh, and an output in uh, productivity. Um, we do seem that, that the variable rates type of technology 
is its, it's impact could be greater and its cost could be less. And I think it would be seen as a more um, no-brainer type um, investment on farm. Um, I think uh, at the moment, farmers are obliged to use precision technology, but it's not seen as a, a complete torch on the subject of profitability, and that's where you need to go. So I think we need a, a Henry Ford moment in uh, precision technology at the moment, where someone produces a widget somewhere which has a, a real positive effect and is cheap to employ on the farm as well. And I think it will come. I think it will come. There's also the the thought processes around precision farming is that it could do a lot to enhance environmental protection. And that might not necessarily uh, be profitable for the farmer, but it's probably advantageous to the world. So is there some funding? Is there some payments available if you can prove that your fertilizer, your your pesticides and herbicides have gone on exactly where they should be, hasn't been double dosed, and and your you can prove on paper or on, on facts that you can send off to a regulatory body that you're a good farmer. There's there's an awful lot on the horizon, isn't there? And I think, you know, as a business owner, as a farmer, there's a lot to consider. And certainly, you know, as an agricultural engineer, um, even if you don't quite see yourself as an agricultural engineer, Harry, there's a, there's a lot of bridging to be done, isn't there, between, between the technology and the thinking and the practice. Um, just moving on slightly, what role does volunteering play in your life? Um, it didn't until a few years ago. And I thought, well, I should really do something. And I, I, I wondered what I could do. And I've gotten a phone call from someone said, have you ever judged a ploughing match? I went, no. He said, you'll never go. Um, we'll see you, see you Sunday. Oh, okay. So I went off there and I put my tie on. I thought I'd better look at And I uh, went and judged a, a uh, I think it was the horticultural section. And I ended up quite enjoying it because from an agronomist's point of view, you know what you you need to see. Uh, I'm not a match plowman, by the way, um, which kind of grates on some of the some of the methods, But um, I am an agronomist, and I do want to see weed control. I do want to see uniformity. I do want to see um, uh, a proper finish, and I understand the ins and outs. So I quite enjoy match uh, match plowing, judging. Um, so I think word spread. You know, this was probably 10 years ago now, so word spread. And before you know it, you've, you've got yourself booked into a whole autumn season from about September to November of nearly every weekend going out and uh, judging at plowing matches. And it's it's a nice thing to do. People kind of say, do you want paying? I said, no, no, just get me a cup of tea and a pork pie. And, that'll do. and everyone's, everyone's happy with that. So... Um, Man after my own heart there, Harry. Pork Absolutely. pie. You have to publish like a survey map of the quality of pork pies across <laughs> ploughing matches. Other pastry products are available, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah, but um, but it, it's it's a nice day out, and it's in it's yeah. it's always very friendly. And you speak to some guys, and I was very much in Market Deeping on the Fens near near um, uh, Peterborough, and I, I saw a Welsh flag on the side of a Fortson Dexter and said. Where are you from? And he goes, Mould in North Wales. 
and he'd got in his car and his truck and he's put his Dexter and his plow on, on an Ivor Williams trailer, driven all the way to Market Deeping near Peterborough, be there for nine o'clock in the morning, does his stint, stays for the cup um, prize giving and then goes home. And he loves it. And you think, oh, that, that's, that's commitment. Yeah, so it's, so it's it's a great cross-section of life, I have to say. It probably doesn't suit with the the no-till, um, keep all of your your, uh, your living mulch, your soil, living soil near the top or surface. But um, it's 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 a, it's a nice day out, really. Uh, it is a sort of a proven technology, this ploughing for weed control, though, isn't it? Um, and yeah. it has occurred for several thousand years. Um, you so, can't and, deny. You can't deny it's been around a very long time, so it isn't going anywhere quick. No, no. no matter what anyone says, it ain't going to go in the next ten years. That's for sure. And I think we'll we'll just keep your your dirty little ploughing secret uh, uh, quiet from uh, from friends our friends in the conservation agriculture world, Harry, shall we? Okay. Um, other than if they've listened to this podcast, uh, just looking looking forward, where do you see agricultural engineering going? And maybe tie this into what what are the key issues facing ag engineering? Because I have a feeling that that one may be the mirror image of the other. Yeah, um, I think in in years and in in this near future, next two to three to five years, um, the environment is is going to be everything, and the farming will continue. That doesn't mean to say we can't have uh, in the environment and farming together. I think for a long time we. The environment in the hedge and the farming happens in the field. I think both will come together, and that's where I think the engineering will be needed. And so, how are we going to get a crop in the ground when there's a lot of trash on the soil surface? Um, and we all know about discs and hairpinning and things like that, or row cleaners and so forth. So does then the, the the decaying mulch on the soil surface need to be swept to one side to allow a, a no-till drill to operate? Or do you do you cut through it? How's that going to work? Well, um, perhaps, perhaps invert it to maintain soil carbon levels and not let any volatize. Yeah, I, I mean, you're just not taking it seriously, Andy, really. No, sorry. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I think also I think that the that, that, that Technology that has um, benefits as well. Can we fly a drone over a field and tell how much nutrients it needs, how much it has already? Um, so, and we've had loads of these people get a fly a, a hang a multi-spectral camera from a from a drone and tell farmers that this is going to be transformational in their farming. And they give them some very pretty maps. And say, well, okay, how are we going to deal with this map? What what are we going to do here? And that's when things what's it telling me yeah, yeah we don't how do you act and that's the usual question i have when i, I come across a tech innovator who says this is transformational this is this camera is going to be this is going to change everything and what's the farmer going to do differently on receipt of this information and they go well it's, it's going to improve his decision making right okay but What's he going to do differently to either improve yield, lower environmental impact, lower costs? What's going to change? And that's a real sticky question for for, uh, for tech innovators. Um, so I think that's the role is going to be combining the environment, carbon capture, 
water protection, environmental protection in general, with productive farming. And there's people that are very keen on it. There's people that are less keen on the whole concept. And um, there's uh, um, how are we going to measure carbon capture? Is there going to be a standard that a farmer can achieve when they start capturing carbon? Or is it going to be at the moment? It's a bit like the World West. Sell all your carbon credits to uh, British Airways and then go to the UK government and say, right, I've got my carbon to sell again. Go, well, you've just sold it to British Airways for a 20 year deal. So you don't get any money from the government for 20 years. So the small print in some of this stuff is going to be very, very important because there's no um, body that will look after the interests of the carbon trading that's about to start happening. Yeah. As you say, it's completely unregulated and there will be a lot of traps in there. Yeah, so, there, there are there are some big challenges ahead, and I, you know I I'm quite positive with regard to agricultural engineering, and I think I think humanity has a great way of of looking around corners and finding solutions. So yeah, while there are some big challenges ahead, you know there's some great great minds working hard on this as well, which is very reassuring. Um, thinking about a career in agricultural engineering, even though you say you're not an agricultural engineer, I still disagree with you, Harry. Um, <laughs> what advice would you offer to anyone heading into into agricultural engineering? Um, I think be open-minded, um, listen to people, um, digest what people are telling you. If you're a tech innovator or you've got some ideas that you might want to get into, go and see some farmers and go and, go and stand next to them and, and ask them and tell them, I've got this, what do you think, would it work? And they'll be ever so interested and they'll be, and you'll get the guy that'll say, yes, I'll buy it. And the guy that says, I know it, I know it's not a bloody good one. And, but. You take all of it on board and on the drive home, you don't switch on the radio, you mull over what you've heard and you will work out the people that were really worth listening to and maybe you've got their details and you go back to them and just just ask them to just run that past me again. Let me get that head in, uh, right in my, in my head. Um, and you can form an opinion of, of where you need to go. Um, and I think... There's a great future for agricultural engineering. It's a great time to be in agriculture, but it is going to change. Um, going back to listening, you, you can listen to the 85-year-old farmer, and sometimes that's better than listening to the 45-year-old farmer because the 85-year-old guy didn't have 400 horsepower to throw at the problem. Um, and he had to think outside the box. And I can see with in, in the more distant future that. Power sources may change. Um, I do know that, that John Deere don't really believe that the diesel engine can be replaced anytime soon in agriculture. We're not going to get electric combines or even even um, hydrogen fuel cell combines that are not really going to be feasible for quite some time. But in the future, the fuel consumption and energy consumption will have to change and, and diminish. And so we're going to. Um, have to rethink that a little bit. I think. So there's there's lots to be done. Um, listen to the listen to everybody. Um, even the guy with holes in his jumper and he's got his trousers held up with string. You never understand who you're talking to until you get talking to them, and they can be some really um, interesting chaps to talk to. And you can just be walking up a, up a field. And with your head farmer with his holy jumper, 
and he goes, Do you know, if I could map the growth habits of my grass, I could manage my sheep grazing better. And boom, there you go. You've got a product. And I think tech innovators and engineers tend to create a solution before and then go off and find the uh, the problem for it to solve. And I think sometimes it's you have to do it the other way around. You you go out and, and talk to people, understand an issue, and then and then develop the uh, the solution around that. Um, you know, you know, in any any interview, there's always that that dreadful thing at the end, which is the and finally. So I'm going to say, given given we've talked very much about about the future, Harry, and we've talked very much about your career and the steps you've taken to, to you know, the things which have influenced you to to make you the 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 man you are today. Um, tell us about what's in your shed. Tell us about your extracurricular activities, Harry. What's in your shed? Well, the the thing that makes me glad to come back to work on a Monday morning um, is well, currently we're and my partner involved in a barn conversion, which is keeping us busy at the minute. Um, but in my shed, I've got a, a, a number of tractors. Uh, I've got an international Titan 1917, which was um, the first tractor to be sold on the island. Um, it needs full restoration, which I hope to get around through this winter and over coming next coming year. Um, and I've got the, the original plough that was sold with it. It's a Phipps of Chippenham plough, plow, which I think was um, used at the, um, the 1920 Shrewsbury tractor trials um, near, near, near Shrewsbury, obviously. Um, then moving a bit more modern, I've got a international uh, industrial 20, which is the industrial version of the 1020 agricultural tractor. Uh, that was first owned by Lord John Sanger Circus, uh, operating out of um, um, Burford Lodge near what is now Gatwick Airport. And that that was sold in 1941 when the 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 circus uh, wound up due to war limitations on feed and people, um, and ended up in Shropshire again. Ports um, and Power Major, I've got well um that does all the lifting and shunting and pushing and and so forth it's got a david brown loader fitted to it people think that david brown never made loaders for any other tractor but they did make one for the major and the dexter uh, a 33 land rover um just for running around slightly faster than the major um and but nowhere near as reliable obviously no 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 <laughs> <laughs> no the, ma the major come hell or high water will go it will always run um, oh, and the, I'm settling up my Matthew Harris 701 engine-driven baler for the hay harvest as well. So that, that's coming along nicely in the shed. Brilliant. Well, look, Harry, um, it's been a thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable chat today. Um, and thank you for giving us such a great insight into uh, into your world. I have a feeling, given that given the subjects we've touched upon, we could have talked for an hour or two more. But um, on, on the crack of... I think 50 minutes or so, 47 minutes, something like that. I think we better draw the interview to a close. So Harry Henderson of the AHDB and member of the Institution of Agricultural Engineers, thank you very much for joining us today on the Landwards podcast. Thank you very much, Andy. It's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, there's a Holland disconnect. Marvellous. It's a good starting point. Thank you, Harry. Cheers. For more information, visit www.iagri.org.
You have been listening to Landwards, the podcast for the land-based engineering community, brought to you by the Institution of Agricultural Engineers.